Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. A real quick review of where we've been so far. Again, this Genesis is story. It's God's story and ours, and it's growing in knowing Him and us more fully. So in the story, there's always a main character, and Genesis is going to be showing us that that even as we've been singing, that God reigns and rules over all, the main character is God. And, you know, so many times we run into struggles because we forget that simple fact that God is the main character. And we talk about this writing of story and, you know, how so quickly it's, it's our nature to take the pen from God's hand. And instead of letting him write our story, that we begin to write our own stories. Um, but, you know, God is so kind, he's so patient. And even when we're doing that, God doesn't say, okay, your story, have it your way. Now, God's pursuing us. He loves us. He desires for us to find the story that, that he wants to write in our lives because it's the best possible story there can be for you and for me is when we allow God to write this story. So last week, um, we laid some things, things out concerning the kingdom of God here on earth even as it is in heaven. And we were looking at Genesis 1 and 2 together, but specifically about the creation of mankind. And one of the things that, that we addressed was the theory of evolution. And although we could only do kind of a small touch on it, I'll tell you just as I had studied and prepared and presented, I, I just became more and more convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that what Genesis presents is true, 100%. Now, we understand that there can be different interpretations. Don't get me wrong. I'm, we're not locking into something specific in that way, but yet there's nothing in Genesis chapter 1 or chapter 2 that is in error, absolutely nothing. And the thing is, is that the theory of evolution seems to come against it. In fact, it does. There's a tremendous conflicts. Uh, for one thing, that um, the order of creation, when we look around, the order of creation is challenged because it's saying it's just, it's random. It just happened. It's by chance. And, and there's nothing in my mind that can bring reason to that thinking. It's just, we had birds in our backyard yesterday, like hundreds and hundreds of birds. And they, they just, you know, they just flew in and they, it, but it was, it was this most beautiful thing as they were, they were like moving in waves. A bunch of birds in our backyard but I'll tell you what I'm looking at, I'm saying, evolution's impossible. <laughs> because you just look at these birds. I mean, it's overwhelming. And, and these are birds, okay? But this is a small part of, of creation, and yet these birds declare the glory of God. I mean, the intric- intricacy of all he has created. And there are so many things that, that again, have, presented, have been presented to us as fact and have come under the, the umbrella of science that we need to question. There are things that concerning time and, 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 and huge jumps. They say there's small jumps between species, but none of them have been proven as possible. And there needs to be millions of those that would happen in order for evolution to be true. So it's so important that we embrace the truth of, of the beginning of Genesis because if we don't embrace Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3, if we don't embrace the foundation, then we can question everything else. 
One of the most important things, probably the most important thing that we need to embrace about the beginning of Genesis is that mankind was created by God. We're not happenstance. But God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed his breath into the nostrils of man and we became living beings. It gives us purpose in life. It gives us power in life. It gives us God's presence within us. It's so important, again, that we accept and that we embrace this is true. In the last two verses that we looked at last week, Genesis 2, verses 24 and 25, say this, that, that this is, again, as God created male and female, he said, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. In our record of human history, this is the last moment that we see God's kingdom fully realized on earth as it is in heaven. In this very moment, the last verse of Genesis chapter two. So we're going to move into the next step in the story, uh, but before we do, I'd, I'd like to invite us as we did last week, if we, would please, if we could please stand and say the Lord's Prayer together. Let us now pray as Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this week, the portion of this prayer that we're going to be looking at in greater depth is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're going to see how this portion of the prayer can take deeper root in our lives as we look at God's story and ours in Genesis chapter 3. We talked about, again, accepting Genesis 1 and 2 concerning creation as foundational. That if Genesis 1 and 2 can be challenged and is doubted, then everything else is up for grabs. We want to add chapter 3 in here and that these, this is so foundational of what happens in chapter three because it gives understanding to the human condition. It gives understanding to the, to the full story of mankind. It gives us understanding to God and how he responds to mankind. And it's so critical. And you know, I've looked at in, in different you know, major places in life. I've done a lot of funerals, I've done a lot of weddings and I often lay the foundation of Genesis one through three in these times. Because it's so critical that we understand the, the origin, that we understand the source, and that we live in light of what Scripture shows us so clearly. So we're now going to move into uh, Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to be going down through and just taking uh, verses and segments. All the verses will be on the screen. Um, but again, if you would like to uh, turn uh, in your Bible or an electronic device, feel free to follow along. We begin with Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, 
Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So we understand that chapters and verses were not in the original text that uh, that Genesis and all the books of the Bible were written as stories and as narratives, um, but that chapters and verses were added later. But I don't know if you've ever wondered about this, but how long was it between Genesis 2.25 and Genesis 3.1? Because all of human history changed in this, in this moment. So how long was it? We don't know. You know, I wondered if there was a pole in heaven and at one day, you know, over the, over the intercom of heaven it comes... Three days, 10 hours, you know, four minutes, who had it, you know, and um, I don't think that happened at all, but it makes, it makes you wonder, like, how long did it last? And, you know, as far as where king, the kingdom of heaven, the rule of heaven was completely on earth as it, as it is in heaven, you know, but the reality is that there's a good chance that it was very, very quick. There's a good chance that it was very, very quick because one of the reasons is that, again, a red number of interpretations, and, and Scripture doesn't tell us, so it's, it's conjecture. But one thing that, that, is, that we're pretty confident of is that there was, uh, there, were no, uh, there was no conception, there were no children born in Eden, right? So, you know, we're th- yeah, we're figuring this probably had to happen very quickly. Okay. I was wondering how much to say. I didn't need to say much, did I? <laughs> but what we have here is that we have this, this, this account of a serpent that at this point would not have been a snake. Okay, the snake came about as, a, as the curse. But we have a serpent that's, co- that's coming up to Eve and begins talking to her. Okay, like for us, that doesn't seem like, okay, the flag should have gone up, right? But think about it is that, that Adam and Eve are brand new in this creation, Okay, and, you know, discovering the order of all that God has created. And for whatever reason, when the serpent starts talking to Eve, it doesn't throw up the flag that we would expect. Because instead of being scared and running away, you know, she engages in conversation. And we're again, not, not saying that against Eve, but it, it almost makes sense. We're discovering God's creation, the serpent's talking. He's talking, then, uh, then it's okay to talk, talk with them. But the reality is that the serpent was not just part of God's creation as far as the animals that he's created, but, but the one who is speaking through the serpent is Satan. That is, is Satan who is, is using this uh, created being as a vehicle to speak through. So Satan is in disguise. Once you think about that, that's an incredibly important point for us to embrace, that Satan is in disguise. Not a whole lot of times, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, there's not a lot of times when Satan would, would come to us and say, hey, I'm Satan. Don't listen to me because I'm going to lie. Okay, that is, that's not what happens. He masquerades. In fact, Scripture says he masquerades, masquerades as an angel of light, that he puts on disguises. So he's in disguise. He's hidden. 
from her understanding. And he's powerful. He's smart. Now, one of the things that, that I've come to believe, and I believe this is accurate, is if it's me against Satan, I lose. Satan is a powerful being. That's why I need Jesus Christ in my life. Changes the equation completely. But listen to some of the descriptions that, script, that, that, that Scripture gives of Satan. He's the father of lies, the evil one, the prince of this world, deceiver, destroyer, adversary, slanderer, the leader of demonic forces of evil. These are just some of the descriptions that we have of Satan. And he's talking to Eve. You know, does that sound like somebody we should trust? <laughs> Obviously, it doesn't. But yet we can hear his voice and not recognize and allow his reason and his lies to grip hold of us. You know, there's a common saying that pushes blame and responsibility and said, the devil made me do it. Ever used that? <laughs> Look at the two, you know, the angel and the devil on your shoulders and it's like, well, made the wrong decision, the devil made me do it. Okay, one thing is that it's shifting blame, shifting responsibility, um, but it's also saying something that is never true. The devil doesn't make you do anything. We, we have choice. Now we can be tempted but we have choice, and we need to take responsibility for the choices that we make. But here's something that, that I, I've, again, I've read the story and studied it and heard so many times, but, uh, but something that came out so clearly to me as I was looking at this passage is that the serpent was part of the animal kingdom. And by God's design, by his order, that animal was under the dominion and authority of mankind proper order is that that serpent was under the rule, under the authority of, of man and man's created rule over all of creation. And here's how this applies to you and me, is that we can give away authority to places and things that we should not give. And we're going to unpack that a little, bit, a little bit more as we go along, but we need to be careful of, of where we are giving authority to, where we are giving power, what voices we, we are allowing to speak into our lives and influence us. Romans one twenty five says this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. That we can get focused on the creation and give our allegiance to the creation instead of the creator. In so doing, we start down a path that is destructive, it's dark, it leads to death. So what are some of the things that happened? If we go back to, to this far, first part of the passage, what happened, what were the steps that led to this decision? You know, the first thing is that, is that Eve listened. We talked about that. That when the serpent started speaking, Eve listened. The serpent threw out some bait and before long there was a hook that took, that took hold in Eve. But if you look at, at, at the first three chapters of Genesis, we have in chapter one, the word of God created. In chapter two, the word of God instructed. In chapter three, the word of God is disobeyed. And that is how the fall happened. The word of God was misused three times in this short conversation. You know, if you look at it the way it starts, 
you know, Satan started out, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That was absurd. It wasn't even close to what God said. But the fact that he threw out something so absurd, almost like opened the door, well, it, it, it caused her to respond, really in defense. But he threw out something that was so absurd and that, that latched into a conversation. Then Eve's response was, you know, he, she said to the serpent, she's correcting him, we may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, there are ways that, that Eve did not present the word of God correctly. And, you know, I've wondered, well, was there more instruction that God gave that we don't have? But, but I think it's, it's probably pretty safe to, to assume that, that Eve wasn't careful enough with the accuracy of the word of God. God had not put up that restriction, do not touch it. That was not part of the command that we read and the instruction that, that we read in Genesis chapter 2. And he didn't just say you will die. God said you will certainly die. So it even removed a little bit of, of, the, of the intensity of what God had said. And we need to be careful to guard the word of God with accuracy because the word of God can be twisted and mis- misused to, to, that, that would, in a way that would allow us to be misled. So we need to guard the accuracy of the word of God. And then Satan, he outright contradicted the word of God. And he said, it's not true. He said, again, um, you will not certainly die, complete opposition to the word of God. You will not certainly die. Instead, he said, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The enemy is constantly throwing complete contradictions against the word of God, saying you cannot trust him. You think he's good, he's not. You think he's true, he's not. These are all ways that the word of God is twisted and manipulated in the process of temptation. And we must be careful, we must be guarded. So she listened, and then she looked. So it was the ear gate, now the eye gate. She looked and she saw that the fruit was was good for food. Now, one thing, I'll just make a quick deposit. We always say it's an apple, but we don't know. That's it. (laughs) It was the fruit of the tree. For some reason, apple got it. But she looked and she saw. Now, do you remember God looking and seeing? In creation, he looked, he evaluated, and he said it was good. But she's looking and saying, this is really good, and I'm going to make my own evaluation. It's good for food for me. So see again how she's moving away from the word of God, allowing her eye gate to lead her in in a bad direction. Wow, did you just hear those words? Our eye gates can lead us in the wrong direction. We are a very visual culture. There are so many images thrown at us, so many things that our eyes can see. Guard what your eyes see. I need to guard what my eyes see. The, 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 the eyes are how light comes in and the eyes are how dark comes in. And it's so important that we turn away from ungodly things. You know, I kept thinking of this song, you know, be careful little ears what you hear, be careful little eyes what you see. Yeah, we need to hang on to that. Because at the fall of mankind, these were issues. And then, up to this point, it's temptation. But then it's the reaching out and the touching. She took and she ate, and it became sin. 
Now understand that, that, again, temptation is not sin. The action is what is sin. But if we dance enough with temptation, guaranteed, it will lead to sin. We need to be guarded. So one of the questions that is often asked and often debated is where was Adam? Okay, I mean, it says that after she ate, she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now the question is when and how, you know, and, and, and again, lots of, there's lots of debate over this, okay? Because some of the question was, was he standing there this whole time through the conversation, listening and watching, and he should have been protecting her? Valid questions, and it's possible. It's also possible that he, he was with her in the garden, but not immediately with her and came to her right after. That's, that's a possibility too. We don't know the details, but the reality is, is that while she was deceived, he took willingly, that, that he, you know, she just gave it to him, and he knew what it was. He wasn't tricked, but he ate as well. And instead of Eve, Adam's credited with the, the first Adam that introduced sin. So it's significant, again, his, that, that he responded, that he, he fell prey as well. But the enemy, you think about this, the tempter, what was the tempter doing? He was challenging God's motives. He promised divinity to Eve. And don't we struggle? Don't we struggle with this thought of I can be my own God, that I can be my own ruler, that I can, I can lead me best. And as ridiculous as it sounds, we walk in that so often. You know, what lesser things in our lives are we giving place to? substances and entertainment activities of all kinds relationships how are we giving power away in our lives that we should not now I want you to I hope you don't hear this is that you know we said this last week this message is challenging I don't want it to be condemning you know God shines his light so that things can be revealed so that he can heal I want you to hear this, is that, that we have to, you know, God's calling us to open our hearts and open our minds to hear from him so that he can shine light and don't ever, please, don't allow condemnation to sit in because condemnation will shut you off from God. And condemnation is not from God. Conviction is of the Holy Spirit. And the conviction of God will point and shine to particular areas in our lives and he also gives the power to overcome. We're gonna be coming to that a little bit later, but we need to, as we're hearing this, Receive and rest in, the, in that truth and in that hope. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So part of this sounds like, and, and I'm still wrestling through this, as far as what did Jesus mean when he instructed his disciples to pray in this way? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Is he, is he saying, like, if I don't ask God the Father to not lead me into temptation, God's going to lead me into temptation? You know, Again, shared this from James, that, that God is not tempting us, okay? We're led away of our own evil desires. But here's the thing that I personally believe, and, and, and again, I'm still wrestling with this and still moving forward and understanding this in a deeper way, praying that God would bring a relation. But God calls us and leads us to pray in alignment with his will. And I believe when Jesus included this in the prayer that he taught the disciples to pray, he's saying, hey, this is the desire of my Father's heart, that you would not be, be led into temptation. When I'm praying to the Father, lead me not in temptation, it's like, 
God's saying, okay, your eyes are open. You, you, you want what I want. I don't want to lead you in temptation. I want to make sure that you're aware that you can be led into temptation and that I'm on your side. I don't want you to be led into temptation either. I want to deliver you from evil. And, I, and, and that's, again, I'm still digging deeper in this, but I'm really believing that, that, that that's uh, you know, God's, des- I know this, that's God's desire. And I want to share with you 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that says this, that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Now, sometimes it feels pretty unique. It's common. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He will provide a way of escape. And I believe that was true for Adam and Eve. There were doors of escape here. There were protections. There were things that could have happened that could have freed them from falling in this temptation. But they failed to take them. And we can fail to take them. But we have a merciful God. So what happened was, immediately they realized their nakedness and they made coverings for themselves with leaves. Verse eight, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the cool, in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But God called out to man, where are you? He answered, probably timidly, I, 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 I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The, woman said, or the man said, the woman you, gave, you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. And I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate it. I want you to look at the contrast here between what we read at the end of chapter two where scripture says Adam and his wife were both naked and he felt no shame to what is happening here. Everything's changed. It's called the fall. Sin brought shame. Can you relate to that? Sin brought shame. We're ashamed when we do things that are against God, against ourselves, and against others. Shame is a natural response. The sad part is that shame can be lessened by repeat. And sometimes this first step that we take into a place that we should not go, it's a very difficult step. That step when we take it, like we're overwhelmed. We feel so sorry. It's like, oh, I wish I could have a redo. I wish I could undo. But yet, sin can get a hook. We go again. Not always, but sometimes it becomes a little easier. That shame starts getting pushed down and pushed down and pushed down. Until scripture says that we can have a calloused, that we can, we can, we can become calloused, where shame is gone. It's the process of how sin can take root in our lives. We've all dealt with it. 
the beauty of, of it all is that God's light is greater. And even when we can become callous, the light of the, of the Lord, the light of God can shine. And he can take that, a, a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. There's hope, even when we've allowed that shame to, to, to grip hold of us and then we've ignored it and pushed it, there's still hope in God. And sin brings fear. And fear leads to hiding. Think about what they were doing. They were hiding among the incredible creation that God had given them. This, what was given to them to, to enjoy freely, full provision of God. And they were in hiding. I was looking for, if I would stand behind that mic stand, could I be seen? Obviously. Even in my slimmer days, I could still be seen. But really, that's what they were doing. They were hiding from the God from whom we cannot hide. But fear causes us to do that. Evangelist Billy Sunday said this, sinners can't, sinners can't hide, can't find God for the same reason criminals can't find policemen. They're not looking. But God's looking for us. God's pursuing us. He comes after us. And he calls out and he says, where are you? And in this passage, we have four questions that God asked Adam and Eve. Why does he ask questions? We've often heard this. Is it's not because he, he needs to know the answer. He already knows, but he's trying to draw us. He's trying to lead us to discovery. And, and, and things come out, right? As he's asking questions, where are you? And Adam says, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. There's revelation coming to bear. Presence-based is, is, is allowing God to ask questions, for us to have an open heart that would ask questions and allow truth to come to light. Two more questions. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I've commanded you not, for me, not to eat from? Here we've looked at this. I think you got the point. And his answer, he responded, and the first thing was blame. And the first, and this is wild, the first thing was he blamed God. How dare he? How dare we? The woman you put here, the woman you gave to me, I would have been better alone. And you said no. <laughs> but he literally blamed the woman you gave to me, the woman you put here, she gave it to me. So it's not responsibility. There's acknowledgement, there's confession. Finally, I ate. And then again, question comes to the woman, what is this you have done? And she said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. Here today, hear this. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And though we were lost in sin in darkness, though we may be lost now, right now, the Son of God is seeking. He desires to save, not to leave us in this state, but to bring salvation. When it comes to excuses, I've often thought in this way, and I need to make I probably need to do so even more, more often. When I stand before God, what excuse could I give? You know, sometimes we settle for excuses. We allow ourselves to remain in places we shouldn't be, but there's no excuse that will stand in the light of a holy God. God wants us to find fullness of life in him. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman 
between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. So the woman said to, to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So the first part of this curse is, is on the serpent. And that's why, you know, literally, I mean, this is giving explanation. This is why snakes crawl on the ground because they, it's, it's a cursed state that they've been placed in, that they will eat the dust, be the lowest of creatures. So this is the first part of the, of the curse is that the serpent, serpent is, is, is cursed and becomes a snake. The second part talks about how the, the power that, that, is, that is going to be working in regards to the battle between Satan and God. There's going to be perpetual conflict. Genesis 3.15. I want you to look at this verse and see what is being said. I will put enmity between you, he's speaking again to the cursed serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now this is, again, speaking directly to Satan. I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And this is the first prophetic statement of the, of the gospel in Scripture. Sin came through the woman. Redemption will come through a woman. Jesus is born to Mary many years later. He's again saying to the serpent, he will crush your head, you will strike his heel. Satan striking the heel is the cross. Jesus crushing his head is the resurrection. That victory is for sure. Yes, there will be a blow against Christ, but Satan does not win. He will not win. He cannot win. His head will be crushed. And we have that power. We have that authority. We have that, that assurance. We have that victory. And it's all in Christ. Amen. Now, ladies, I'm sorry for this, but the curse comes to Eve. Your pain will be great in childbirth. It's part of the curse. But then when it talks about this, it says that, that your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. As I've read that and studied that, it really, I believe it, it's, it's saying that there's going to be, what was it, peace? What was it, harmony? It's now going to be a power struggle between man and woman. And, you know, as I looked at that and, and examined it, I really believe that that's, that's what Jesus was saying, that this is part of the curse, this power struggle that will happen. And then to Adam, the ground is cursed. And you're going you're gonna to be able to eat, but you're going to have to work for it. You're going to sweat. You're going to toil. All of creation is groaning under this curse. And there will be a lifting one day, but we live in this now and this present. Listen to this last thing. You will return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return.
I was part of a funeral service yesterday. And it's from dust we were created into dust that we return. And there are many times that I'm coming alongside of families and being part of services such as yesterday. And one thing that helps me to understand what's happening is that, yes, this is the result of the curse. And we hurt and we have pain because we weren't meant to be separated. From the beginning, it was not so. We were created to live forever in relationship with one another. And it hurts when death touches our lives. But this is part of the curse. And, and it wasn't, again, God, God had warned that when you eat, you will surely die. There was a spiritual death that happened immediately and hundreds of years later, they would experience physical death as well. It's painful. But can we, we, we can understand that again, this was not God's design from the beginning, that man would die. His design was that you may eat freely from all and stay away from what's gonna kill you. But man landed in this place and it's sad. They had life, now they have death. They had pleasure, now they have pain. They had abundance and now they have meager sustenance by toil. They had perfect harmony with God and each other and now they have alienation and conflict. Welcome to our world. I became very broken this morning unexpectedly. My wife, Joelle, um, does the kind pleasure of reviewing things that I've prepared to speak on Sunday mornings. Don't blame her if it's not right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but you all read this last night. She said something I needed to hear. She said, this is sad. And you know, I, I've, I've, I've lived so long, like you know, holding on to these truths and sharing these that, it, that I realized I can miss the sadness. This is sad. What happened here is sad. What, the state of the world became sad. And you know, one of the best things that we can, un, can probably do is to understand that, that we're in a sad place. We're in a sad situation. It truly is. Now, in this sadness, there's hope. Don't get me wrong. And I embrace that hope. And I think that, but sometimes that, that, that causes me not to realize how sad this is if you don't have Christ. And it can help me to understand how, how we can all experience this sadness even though we are Christ because we live in a fallen world. God doesn't leave us in this condition. And there's tremendous hope as we look at these last few verses. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living things. I want to let you know that, he, that they realized that death had now entered. But this is a tremendous statement of faith when Adam names her Eve because that's mother of living or means living. That even though death had entered, he has hope. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he, he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed at the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and flaming sword, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Here is hope. Because the man tried to cover himself, that was not sufficient. But Scripture says this, that God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And this is the first record in history where we have an animal being killed. That the, the, the animal or animals that were killed to make that covering, there had to be blood that was shed. And the covering that God provides requires the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And this is what some call the beginning of the scarlet thread throughout Scripture, a blood sacrifice that culminates in the, in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sin. God removes them from the garden, but he's doing it for their own good. Because he says, if man is allowed to come into the garden, the tree of life is accessible, and they will live forever in this fallen condition. So he puts cherubim at the, at the entrance to the garden, this, this flaming sword going back and forth so that they wouldn't, it was to protect them from being stuck in this condition. It's one of the things that's so beautiful is that I'd never made this connection, I don't think, but the, the, garden, the, garden, and the, the garden of Eden and the tabernacle and temple of the Old Testament have so many correlations. And on the veil that protected the Holy of Holies, the presence of God from man, there are cherubim embroidered into that veil, protecting man from what he cannot, cannot withstand, the holy presence of God. I want you to know that when Jesus Christ died, that veil was torn. We're given access. The cross becomes the tree of life, and we have access into the presence of Almighty God. And he calls us. He pursues us that we would come and that we, we, would, we would walk in. So I'm going to take us through a little journey here. And this is uh, something that's called the four states or the states of man or the modes of man. This is a teaching that, that I heard many years ago from um, Del Tackett, who presented the Truth Project, which was um, a presentation focused on the family. And he talks about the four states of man. And if you're, if you're taking notes, you can, you're actually going to see how, how this diagram is developed. But at the end, it'll have the full thing. Uh, when you see four, stickers, four stick figures on the screen, it's done. You can take a picture if you want at that point. But this, this first state of man is at creation. That's what we saw at the end of Genesis chapter 2, that man is created in the image of God. That's the first state of man. But then we have the fall, which is what we just looked at, that, that, that man, man, again, embraced what he should not have, and as a, as, a, as a result of that, it's the fall. And that leads man into the state of fallen man. Now, what, what we need to understand is that the image of God still, still, still follows man into this fallen state. That, that regardless of how fallen a person is, there are touches and glimpses of the image of God within that person. So it's not that the image of God disappears. We are created in the image of God. Even though we're fallen, we still bear the image of God in some ways. And unfortunately, we were not born into the first state. We were born into the second state. That when we enter this, this life, it's not of our choosing, but the reality is that we were born as fallen creatures because the, the earth is in this fallen state. And if we exit this earth, 
from that fallen state. And by death, we taste death, the, the fruit of, of the curse. Then our eternity is in hell. An eternal damnation separate from God. And this could be another state if we want to list it that way. But, but, but this is apart from God. We've entered this world in a fallen state. And if we exit this life in a fallen state, it's eternal punishment. It's clear in Scripture. You will surely die. And this is a second death. But praise be to God, there's another option. Take door two. It's the cross. Is that Jesus Christ came and he bore the penalty of sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That in him we may be the right, have the righteousness of God. We may be the righteousness of God. So Jesus doesn't leave us abandoned in the fallen state. He pursues us. And God becomes man. And he lives perfect, a perfect life. The wages of sin are death. Is death. So, so we know that, that the death that we die is because of sin. It's the penalty of sin. But Jesus didn't die for his sin. He died for our sins. The substitution that Jesus, what he bore on the cross was the sin of mankind. He paid the price. He paid the penalty. Perfect God is the perfect sacrifice. The atoning sacrifice. This is redemption. It means to be bought back. And this is the fulfillment of that scarlet thread that started back in Genesis 3. But there's a process, like how does that happen? Jesus died for all, but it can only happen as we step into God's provision. As we accept that, that this is what I deserve, but Jesus, you are the substitute. And sometimes we can say it's, it's as simple as saying a prayer, and it is, and it is so much more. That, that in order for us to step into this place of a redeemed man, a redeemed woman, it's necessary for us to confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts and trust that in Christ and in Christ alone do I have life. And it's not just a moment, it's a transfer of life, literally from fallen man, which is death, into life, the eternal life of God living within us. And God is desiring that all would be redeemed, that none would be lost but that all we come to him. But here's something that's so important that we understand that remember when we came to that fallen state, we carried the image of God. When we are redeemed, when we accept and, and, and apply the work of Christ to our lives, when we surrender to him and we are no longer ours, we are his, we've been bought with a price. When we cross over into this place of redeemed man, we're continuing to carry the image of God, but we also carry that fallen nature. Is that it'd be wonderful is when we surrendered our life to the Lord that fallen nature just disappears but it doesn't. We still carry within us this fallen nature. And that's one of the reasons why we pray, God lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need to understand, and, and, and often we do, and we may deny that it exists, but there is a battle that goes on within us. It's a battle between the spirit of God and our flesh. And God is coming alongside us that we find victory. Because as we've carried over the image of God, God is desiring that in this redeemed state, that we'd be transformed more and more and more and more into the likeness of Christ. That we would find his power and his strength. When my flesh is weak, then I bring that flesh, that weakness of my flesh to him and I receive his strength. When I am powerless over victory within my flesh and within my desires, 
then I, I, I yield to him and I say, God, I've surrendered my life to you. Holy Spirit, you live within me. Come and give me power. And there's transformation. It's called sanctification. It's being made more and more like Christ. So when we are this redeemed person, when we are, 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 have, have received and we've accepted and we've surrendered to the work of Christ on the cross and we are allowing the Spirit of God to have rule and reign in our lives as we sang as a prayer earlier, there's only one place we can go from here. And it's either death or the rapture that's going to get us there. Guaranteed. It's going to be one or the other. I don't know which one. But either death or the rapture is going to take us to this glorified state where we no longer carry the sinful nature. Where we're released from the, the burdens and the struggles of this life and the, and the temptation of flesh. And we're welcomed into God's eternal presence. When we see him, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. And in that glorified state, we're, there's a tree of life. There's a river that's flowing and giving life. It, we're in the presence of God and we are literally seeing Eden restored without the temptation, without that, that possibility of leaving. It is secured life forever in the presence of God. And when you look at these states, God's desire is that we would all find that glorified state. Everyone, his desire is that we would all Where are you at when we look at the states of man? Will you let God shine light right now to where you are at? If you're in that fallen state, know that God is not condemning you, that God is calling you. And he desires for you to know him. He desires for you to find life and there is only one way and it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's not being restrictive. He's stating truth and he's saying this is open to all who will receive. God is calling. Will you hear? I think I understand a little bit more now why that sad part was breaking my heart so much today, has been. Because when we're in that fallen state, there is nothing sadder. There's nothing more troubling, more hopeless. God doesn't want any of us to be there. He wants us all to come to him. He's calling. There's no sin that you've committed that's too great for the forgiveness of God. There's nothing that has so strong a grip on your life that he can't give you freedom. Now, I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm not going to ask you to repeat after me. I'm not going to ask you 
to respond outwardly at this moment. I just want you to go with you and God. Allow him to speak into your life right now. God, we thank you for your love for us. It goes beyond our understanding. God, we thank you that you don't abandon us even when we're against you, when we lie to you, even when we ignore you, even when we deny your existence, when we don't trust you, even when we've done all kinds of things against you. Your love never ends. God, we thank you that we have proof of your love when we look at the cross the death that Jesus died for us. God, I don't know who you're calling right now, but I believe that you're calling, we believe that you're calling people from this fallen place to you through the cross. So Jesus, as, as you have given your life for us, I thank you that you're knocking at the door, that you're just waiting for people to open and let you in. So God, even now, and I pray, Lord, that you would work in people's hearts and in their lives. God, that they would respond to your offering. God, that they would open the door and let you in and, and receive the, the, the gift of salvation. It's a gift. It's your grace. It's, it's unmerited. God, we pray that even now, you would leave many, lead many from darkness to light, from death to life. And God, for we who have already taken that step, Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek you with our whole hearts, to desire for your image to be more and more in our lives. God, that we would not rely on ourselves, but we would surrender to you in all things. Know that you are faithful. And in you, we have hope. In all, all of our lives, we have, we have hope when we look to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're now going to do something that Jesus instructed us to do. We're going to receive communion together. And if you did not pick up uh, the elements as you came in, if you'll please raise your hand. Someone will bring you uh, the elements. We want to make sure that everybody has opportunity to, to partake together. We're going to do that in just a few moments. But what we are doing, we are remembering Jesus' provision for us. I want to read this passage from Romans chapter 5, a few, di- a few different verses. Paul declares this, that sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, the gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Friends, we have what we need in Christ. 
Yes, we look at the fall and it's sad, and we look at the state of the world and it's sad, but we have hope in Christ. We're victorious because of Christ. We celebrate the, the death and the resurrection of Christ because in him we have life. So we don't believe in closed communion. The communion is open to all who know Jesus Christ. And Paul instructs us that we are to examine ourselves as we come to the table. Make sure that, that we're right with God. Make sure that, that we've accepted his provision in our lives. So for those that are desiring to receive communion now, I want to share with you what the Lord said. He's with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. And he took bread and he gave thanks. He was about to give his life for the world. And he instructed us this. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we eat together. Thank you, Lord. Scripture says that after supper that he took the cup and he declared this, that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We drink together. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you gave your life for us and that your sacrifice is sufficient, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, makes us new in you, that we can stand before a holy God and you look at us and you see the righteousness of Christ. So Lord, even as, as is instructed, we're proclaiming your death until you come. Until you come and you take us to be with us. We step from this life into life in your presence. And God, we will respond to you with hearts of love and with hearts of thanksgiving in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. I invite you to, if, if you would like to stay seated or stand, we're just gonna respond now uh, just with a song of love to our Lord. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.